Choose Linux, episode 27, for January 23rd, 2020. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Joe. I'm Drew. And I'm Mel. And here we are for episode 27. And later on, we're going to be talking about freedom versus pragmatism. But first, distro hoppers, ghost BSD. What's a BSD doing on a Linux show? Yeah, what is a BSD doing on Choose Linux? I have questions, Joe. <laughs> well, don't blame me. Blame the random distribution button on DistroWatch. It threw up GhostBSD. What are you going to do? And this is a bit of a funny one because a new version came out today, just hours before we're recording this. And we'd mostly been checking out a version that came out at the end of last year. So this is a bit of a strange one, really. I have to say I'm really excited that this happened, though, because I think previously, if we had recorded before this released, my review would have been, I tried. I honestly gave it my hardest effort, and I failed. But with the newer updates, I was actually able to go in, and I'm going to be able to give you a real review now. Yeah, I'd had a bit of a bad experience with it, with Wi-Fi not working. So I was pretty pleased that they released this updated ISO, and... It was a much, much better experience. Yeah, same here. I had to actually dig out an Ethernet adapter for my laptop that I hadn't seen in over a year just to get the thing to install properly. To its credit, once I did get it installed and ran some updates, Wi-Fi did start working, but I'm happy to report that with the new ISO, Wi-Fi was running right out of the box. Yeah, I was looking forward to telling you about my ugly hack that made me get Ethernet working, where I got a laptop running Zubuntu, and then you can just go into Network Manager and share that Wi-Fi connection over Ethernet. And so that's how I managed to get it installed and updated. And then GhostBSD was fine with the Wi-Fi. But again, with this new version that's just come out, no need to do any of that. Wi-Fi just works straight away. Drew, I think whenever I told you about the problems that I was having with the older version, the solution you told me was to do the install with the Ethernet cable plugged in. And I'm sitting here going like, I don't have a single device that has an Ethernet port to begin with. So I had to do the same thing you did, go and find the adapter. And then I'm looking around the house going, there is one computer in this entire house that has Ethernet on it, and it's my son's, and that cable has been cut for that computer. So now I'm sitting under his desk with the wire plugged in trying to do this install. (laughs) And I think I told Joe, like, what day and age is this that I'm tethered to a wire to the wall just to be able to use my computer? Yeah, well, that would be a valid complaint if they hadn't released this update today, but (laughs) I'm afraid uh, we should have just waited. Yeah, because I just went in, I looted it up, I clicked the button, gave me all my options, put in my password, just like every other Linux distro that I've used. So that was a cool experience using BSD. I do want to say it's not all roses with the Wi-Fi now, though. Just like with the last version, I still wasn't able to get more than, say, 20 megabits per second, when on Linux I can easily get upwards of 100, 120, and really saturate my connection. Yeah, same. I only got about 20 megabits per second, whereas on this laptop with Linux, I can get sometimes up to 250. So that makes it, I mean, it's not unusable, but it does make it a much less good experience than with Linux. One of the major complaints I had was how long it took to get updates, and that's with the Ethernet cable. So trying to get all of the updates with that limited Wi-Fi, I'm just thinking you have to leave it overnight like you used to. 
I am suddenly aware that there may be people out there who only have 20 megabit connections to the internet <laughs> and having 350 like I have is not that normal. But I'm paying for it and so I want to use it. Amen, brother. Yeah. You know, I noticed the long update times as well. And I actually went in and checked to see that I wasn't using some kind of mirror that was way out in the other part of the world. And sure enough, the default repo is the U.S. one. So I'm not sure why it took so long to download the packages. But that was one thing that was a little annoying, but not insurmountable by any means. But there is one big positive when it comes to updates, and that's Update Station. Yeah, I really liked it too. I thought it was quite attractive and gave me all the right information that I wanted while it was performing updates. I had zero complaints about the GUI app. So I have a question for you guys, and that's because, to be honest, I use GNOME almost exclusively, but Mate on this was just beautiful. It was crisp colors. It was very simple to use. Just, I don't know, it was just very visually stunning. And I don't know if that's a Ghost BSD thing or if that's just a Mate thing. Well, it's definitely not the default Mate theme, so it's a choice that they've made. And I agree with you. It does look very nice. Yeah, and it's a light theme by default, which I'm not usually a huge fan of light themes. I tend to prefer dark themes myself, but this one was really not offensive to me at all. I didn't even feel the need to go in and change the theme or tweak it in any way. There's one slight complaint I'd have about how they configured Mate, and that is that they're using the old school menu. Even though they have the brisk menu installed, it's just not set up by default. It's very easy to add it to the panel and delete the other one but that old school menu isn't searchable whereas brisk is it's just a far superior menu to me i don't know i didn't really have any issues with the old school menu i really kind of started with gnome 2 back in the day and it just kind of still feels comfortable to me even though i know that there are newer shinier better things out there and i don't even use mate these days there was a little bit of a nice feeling of nostalgia having that, you know, applications, places, system menu up there at the top. There was kind of a nostalgic feeling generally about it. Certainly when we were having to use the Ethernet cable, that was bringing back <laughs> memories. And looking through the software that was pre-installed, it has Brazero, the uh, disk burning software. And I have not burnt a disk for quite some time. I don't know why that would be installed. Hey, Joe, you don't have one of those hidden in the back of your closet somewhere so you can give it a try? <laughs> I actually do have some spindles of uh, <laughs> DVDs and stuff, but they're all scratched, all, all my blanks. And last time I tried, uh, about a year ago, I was looking through them. No, that scratched, that one scratched, that one scratched. <laughs> so no, I don't think I uh, have the means. I do have uh, a DVD burner in my kind of media desktop, but I think I unplugged it when I needed the SATA cable for another drive or something. So... Uh, yeah, I, I don't really have the means, I don't think. Maybe a laptop or two somewhere. Well, and you know, I, I know that this is a brand new release and it's kind of to be expected, but I was pretty impressed with how fresh all of the software was. You know, Firefox is on the latest version, Audacity is on the latest version, including having its own dark theme, which, Joe, I know you're not a fan of, but I certainly am. Everything felt really up to date, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little prejudiced against BSDs before now, but I wasn't expecting that. Well, maybe I'm prejudiced because I wasn't expecting the huge software availability 
because in Software Station, you can install pretty much anything that you would expect to be in there. I search for all sorts of obscure stuff like Get iPlayer, which is my kind of go-to for obscure software. That was in there. EasyTag was there. Just anything I searched for, it seemed to be there, including some proprietary stuff like Slack, although after installing that, it just didn't work. Yeah, the selection actually is pretty massive. Although, you know, you're not going to find some things that haven't been ported over to BSD, like Steam or Spotify Desktop or things of that nature. But in a lot of cases, they do have alternatives that can fill the needs of what you're looking for. And yeah, sometimes it's a web wrapper, but it's still there. Yeah, and pretty much anything open source is there. Certainly anything that I looked for. And speaking of Software Station... I did want to mention that it has a lot of categories and feels a little bit old school in the way that you select and install things. But overall, I really enjoyed it. You know, the categories were a little overwhelming at first, but once I started digging in, I found that it was really well sorted and I could easily find what I was looking for, even without having any kind of fuzzy search available. One slight nitpick I'd have with Software Station is... When it comes to searching for applications, you type in a couple of letters and then it kind of freezes for a bit and then kind of catches up. Um, It seems to start searching a little bit too soon, maybe. Okay, so usually I'm the first one to say, you know, hey, why don't you just do it on the GUI? And I have to admit that I never even looked at the software installer. I went and Googled, hey, how do I install software? And I just saw the pseudo package installs. So I started playing with that. So my updates and my upgrades commands both just went through package update and package upgrade. Honestly, if I hadn't known that it was a BSD I would have just thought it was another Linux version. Using the command line seemed very intuitive compared to everything else that I've done. I've got very limited experience with BSD. I tried GhostBSD out once several years ago, and it was kind of all about ports and trees and things that were just a bit beyond me, whereas this seemed to be far more intuitive. One thing that I noticed about Software Station that I didn't really care for is when I went through and did the installation, it seemed like it did it just fine, but I wasn't really receiving any user feedback that the installation had succeeded or failed or anything like that. So I wasn't quite sure whether or not it had actually done it until I went and saw that the application was installed. Really? Didn't you see at the bottom there was all writing telling you what was happening? No, I did not. <laughs> ah, it was quite small, but <laughs> you obviously missed it. One thing that I really liked was once you selected the software that you wanted to install and kicked off the installation, you kind of saw it at the bottom in pretty small text, to be fair. And then if you searched for something else and uh, selected it, you didn't have to kick off that installation of that bit of software. It would just automatically do that. So you could kind of just queue up as much as you wanted and it would all just get installed. Oh, well, that's pretty handy. I didn't even try that. One of the things that I enjoyed about the install process, and that seems like a really strange statement for me to make because I usually hate the install process, but as I'm going through, there's this drop-down menu with tons of options on what shell I'm going to choose. And I don't ever recall that on another distro. I just kind of gets picked for me and then I can go in and install them later. So it was a lot of fun just getting to go, you know what, I'm going to try this new random shell. Yeah, I clicked on that drop down and had a look at all of the different ones that were available, some of which I didn't even recognize. But guess which one I went for? Bash. Bash. 
yep, what a surprise. I stuck with what I know. Uh, but it was nice to have those options. What did you choose, Drew? Well, I saw the box, but I didn't even click the drop down because it already had my favorite shell pre-selected, fish. Oh, nice. That is something that I wish other Linux distros had because I know that other shells are very popular. But I suppose it makes support a little bit trickier because at least with someone on an Ubuntu or Fedora system, you know they're going to be running Bash by default. And so you can kind of support them that way. But let's face it, this is for somewhat advanced users, or at least intermediate users who might know about things like Fish. And um, it's always a bit of a pain to get that installed. Well, it's not a pain, is it? But it's, it's just that extra step for you, Drew. Yes, absolutely. I always have to install it, and then I have to do some back-end hacking to make Fish work well with the Bash scripts that are included by default. And yeah, there's a whole process. So at this point, I would normally ask you to are you going to continue to use this? But it seems quite clear that that's not going to happen. And for me, I can't do my job with this. I tried to connect my audio interface to it, and it just wouldn't see it for some reason. And wireless wasn't working very well. It seems to me that it just suffers from that BSD hardware support problem, that BSD is not designed to be run on the desktop. It's designed to be run in data centers and on enterprise grade network gear and stuff it's it's a valiant effort to try and build a desktop on top of it but it just doesn't seem to have the user base to make it a viable daily driver you know i'm going to disagree with you a little bit there i think that ghost bsd is a really good way for people to maybe get their feet wet with bsd Maybe they're Linux users who are BSD curious or uh, somebody who just wants to wrap their head around jails or start getting towards free BSD. Whatever the case may be, if you're thinking about BSD and you maybe want to give it a try, this is not a bad way to get started at all. The presentation is really slick. Once you get it up and running, it runs well and I didn't really have any trouble with performance on real hardware. My VM was pretty sluggish, but on the laptop, it ran great. Yeah, that's true. I suppose if you've got Ethernet in your office and you are curious about BSD, as you said, Drew, then yeah, this is probably the simplest way to get into it. And if you've got a spare machine or a spare partition, although mm, dual booting was a bit hit and miss and difficult, so I would say a spare machine, then... Yeah, I'd, I'd encourage people to give it a go, but I don't think many people are going to be using it day to day. You know, if you'd asked me this question yesterday, I would have told you that I didn't really get to try it out, that I didn't have an honest opinion. But after getting to play with it today, I think maybe I should keep it around a little longer so that I can get the real experience of what it's like to use GhostBSD. So what will we be talking about in a couple of episodes time? on distro hoppers let's go to distro watch click the random distribution button and we've got linux console it's an independently developed linux live cd with different editions designed for desktop servers gaming consoles and old computers its primary characteristics are easy installation so no excuses are <laughs> uh, extensive choice of software in the form of modules and excellent hardware detection so uh it looks like from this screenshot that it is Mahate, but it looks like they've got different editions, so we'll have to agree which edition we're going to use. But um, yeah, I look forward to using it. Presumably you two have never even heard of it like me. No. No. Mm -mm. Mm, well, we'll have to see how we get on.
Okay, so we've all had a go with a real true BSD. That was my first real go with a BSD. And L, I know it was your first time. Joe, you said you've tried it before, but it really brought out something for me in that when I was looking at software, even though I'm on something that's more permissive under the BSD license, it's not really including a lot of the software that I think about when I think of proprietary software running on some kind of open source stack. Like there's no Steam, there's no Spotify desktop client, there's a lot of things that are missing that, you know, we kind of take for granted in Linux nowadays. And I wonder, how do you two feel about Linux, the, you know, open source GPL copyleft platform, having more of this available proprietary software than something that's permissively licensed? Well, the argument is that the reason that Linux has been able to get so huge is because it has that protection, that restriction of copyleft, which means that you can't just take it and make it proprietary. And so that has attracted more developers to the platform. Whereas with something like BSD that's permissively licensed, there's the risk that people will make a proprietary version of it and then that open source version will basically get abandoned and so your efforts are wasted. I'm not sure I completely agree with that argument, but I think there is something in it. But whatever the reason, I think it really comes down to popularity, doesn't it? The reason that we have more proprietary software available to us on Linux than BSD is just the sheer number of users. Well, I certainly think that is the case. And with the amount that Linux has exploded just in the past five years, as things have started to move towards the cloud, and you, know, you see things like the Ubuntu Server Edition dominating Azure, there are more and more people touching Linux. And so I think you're right. A lot of developers are wanting to be on the same platform that they're developing for. And more than ever, that is Linux. I have a question for you guys, and that's how much of this do you think that you think about just because of what we do versus what a traditional end user would think about? Because honestly, I, you know, hopefully our listeners won't judge me too harshly for this, but I really never thought too much about, you know, proprietary versus open source software that I'm using on my desktop. Well, sure. And I, I think a lot of the distributions make a bigger deal out of it than a lot of the end users do. Because at the end of the day, we want the software that we expect and we want it to work, right? That's the biggest thing that we want out of any particular Linux distribution. So when you have people like Fedora who have no non-free software in the repos, and then you have things like Flatpak, which allow you to easily add it, people are just going to go out and get the software. Well, not necessarily. Some people really care about software freedom and will only use free software, open source, if possible. And I'm not saying I'm completely that end of the spectrum, but for me, I do care. And I don't think it's necessarily just because I do this. I think it's the other way around, maybe. The reason that I got into talking about and promoting Linux and open source is because I care about it. And for me, every time I have to open Slack, it just makes me feel a bit, ugh, I, I wish that wasn't installed on my system, this proprietary software. I'd much rather 
use something like mumble like we're talking to each other now i mean i know that's not a, a true equivalent there but um the only reason that i have slack installed and i don't just use the web app is because the web app doesn't support voice calls and i i wish that i could just use mumble because i know that's open source and i'd rather be using that I think you hit the nail on the head right there, and that's a lot of end-user decisions are, I don't want to say they're not made by them, but they're kind of dictated by where they're working, what their interactions are, because I've had quite a few people ask me why I don't use Mastodon, and that's because I'd be there by myself. I'd be there maybe with one or two other people that I know, but my circle itself is active on Twitter. Or, you know, why do I use Slack? Well, because I enjoy getting paid and therefore I want to be able to communicate with the people that I work with. Like, these aren't decisions that I make based on, you know, beliefs on open source and beliefs on freedom. They're decisions that I make based on what do I need to be able to live my life and my day to day. Yeah, often called pragmatism. Now, to, to even consider freedom versus pragmatism, I've, I've kind of said that before on air, and I've had a bit of feedback from people saying that free software is the pragmatic choice because it's better, but I think that that's just semantics, really. Um, I wanted to avoid people saying it to me again, but they probably will. But I, I think that that is the, the bottom line here, that you've got freedom on one end and pragmatism on the other and where you are kind of depends on your values and what you kind of take more seriously and what's more important to you for me i will use proprietary software when i think that the open source equivalent is inferior or just doesn't exist but as long as it will do the job for me i will use open source firefox I will use over Chrome, whereas most people will use Chrome because there's a few websites here and there that aren't going to work properly with Firefox, but I will just persist with it because it's good enough. This may make me a bad person, but I'll take it one further. I will actually take a proprietary piece of software over an open source piece of software if it is better enough that warrants me to use that versus something that can do the same job, but less efficiently. And my biggest example there is Ardor versus Reaper. I love Ardor, and I still think that it has some of the best features for a multi-track recorder that I have ever seen. But when it comes to editing, I have to use Reaper because I have to do so much editing at such a pace that Ardor simply can't keep up. You know, Drew, that's almost exact opposite of what I was thinking because I was waiting to speak my turn. And what I was thinking was there's a comfort and experience that allows us to use open source tools that isn't available to people who are new. And I say that because, you know, we've all had a great laugh at me trying to jump to um, something like GhostBSD that we just talked about because it it doesn't have the contributions. It doesn't have some of the ease of use that maybe something that's proprietary would. But as I'm getting more comfortable with using other applications, then I kind of start playing around with things that might not work as well, things that I can change, things that I can contribute to, because I feel comfortable in that realm. Yet what you just said was the complete opposite of going, hey, I just needed to work so that I can use my experience. But if you're using open source software, then you can, in theory, change it. So 
the things that are missing from Ardor, you could, in theory, change yourself or you could pay someone to change for you or you could lobby people to do it for free, possibly. But you have that potential there. Whereas with a proprietary bit of software, the only person or people who can change it are the company who are making that software or, or the, the developer or whatever. And it's, so it's completely on them to implement new features or fix bugs. And so in a sense, I kind of get where those people are coming from when they say that it is the more pragmatic choice to use open source software. I guess it's the happy medium because, yes, I use Twitter and I use Slack, but you guys have been here when somebody tells me to open Chrome and I'm like, it's not installed. I have Firefox and DuckDuckGo. So maybe there's a happy hybrid that I'm trying to kind of live between with getting my job done, but actually learning and implementing new tools. Well, and I don't want to say that proprietary is better in any way. Just from an end user perspective, I want to be clear that sometimes the alternative, and I don't even really want to call it an alternative because realistically, I don't think that one piece of software can be classified as the de facto, except for maybe Photoshop. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So to me, I don't want to say that proprietary is by default better. Because I don't think that's the case. I wouldn't be using Linux if I thought that were the case. But in certain realms, there are times when option A is proprietary and it's just better than option B, which maybe isn't. And I think it's important to recognize that. And I do want the open source projects to succeed and to get better and to replace any proprietary things that I am using. I would love for that to happen. But I don't think 2020 is the year that I'm going to see it. Well, yeah, I think sometimes you do have to be pragmatic and use that proprietary software. And I think the, the most important thing is to not judge anyone who does, like some people in our community will do. I, I will never judge them. I'll say, hey, look at this other alternative. Uh, I mean, you take someone who sets up a storage server and then installs Windows on it. I would say that is not the right thing to do, not because it's proprietary, but because the open source alternative is better, BSD or Linux. You're going to get better performance. It's just more suited to the job. Whereas if someone is a graphic designer and they already know Photoshop, I'm not going to say to them, hey, use GIMP, it's better, because I don't think it is. It doesn't have some of those crazy AI functions and stuff. I mean, I've seen some demos of Photoshop where it can literally like cut out stuff from the background or uh, take a person out and fill in what would be the background. It seems like almost magic to me. And so I totally understand if someone who's editing photos or doing graphic design is going to use that bit of software because it is genuinely better than the open source alternative. So I guess we're all kind of agreed then. You use the best tool for the job. And if you have two tools that are of equal quality, you would reach for the open source one first. I would say not even equal. Even if the open source one is only a little bit inferior, then I would choose that as long as it does what I need it to do. I think that it's only a case of where there's a huge gulf that I will go for the proprietary option. Okay, I think I can roll with that, yeah. I think you guys won't be surprised to hear my answer for that. I think I will go for whatever tool has the best documentation that's going to let me know how to use it whether that's proprietary or whether that's open source, it's what's going to be the easiest thing for the job. Well, by that rationale, you should be running Arch, right? Because their documentation is the best in the world. 
I'm going to go into witness protection now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we'd better get out of here then. You can find all the ways to get future episodes at choose slash subscribe. And if you want to get in contact with us, choose linux.show slash contact. You can find us all on Twitter as well. I'm at Drew of Doom. I'm at L underscore O underscore punk at L O punk. And I'm at Joel Rissington. We'll be back in two weeks. Yeah.